Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because I get to record with my horror BFF, the managing editor of DailyDead.com and the author of a series of books about special effects, uh, about special effects makeup. Uh, please welcome back to the show, Heather Wixon. Hi, Heather. Hello. I didn't. I, mean, wa- I didn't want to say Monster Squad because it might not. Things might be changing, right? It is. It is no longer Monster Squad. So that's why I didn't want to so. say the author of Monster Squad, though technically you are the author of Monster Squad. True. True. Yes. There's. It's. A, there's a whole overhaul happening, uh, for better or for worse. So. Is there anything you're able to say, or is do we have to wait on all the news? Um, I kind of feel like I have to wait a little bit on the yeah, news. no pressure. Um, but I will say for those of you who maybe, I don't know, haven't picked up Monster Squad, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. don't worry about it for now, because um, those interviews are getting repurposed to a degree, but... Uh, don't worry, there's still going to be plenty enough of new stuff to sort of balance that out. Very cool. Well, uh, in the new books. So, yes. So, although, I mean, technically we have like an F This Movie podcast already between us, so I don't feel like I'm like a special guest. That's true. I'm no. just sort of like, I'm just sort of like the appendix of <laughs> F This Movie. I'm just sort of dangling there. You're, and, you're, you know, once you're a month. this week's guest, not, not a special <laughs> Once a month. Kind of a special guest, <laughs> Once yeah. Once a month, you know, I, I I rear my ugly head and like, hey, I'm here. And we talk, talk about, about Wes Craven movies on Craven Craven, which hopefully you guys have all been listening yes. to, uh, because we're doing uh, the Susan Lucci one next. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, we are. <laughs> What's it uh, called? Invitation to Hell. Invitation to Hell. I kept wanting to call it Invitation to Love, which is like the fake soap opera in a movie. And I can't think of what is movie. Is that a real thing? Yeah, no, there's a fake, there's a movie with a fake soap opera called Invitation to Love. And right now somebody is like screaming at their computer or their phone. Um, I can't remember what it is. is it's on, it's on Twin just, Peaks. I just, it's on Twin Peaks. Um, yeah, there's just, a fake okay, soap I opera. Because like, I just found the song from Angelo Badalamonte. There you Bada go. Lamenti. See? And David Lynch. Yep, it's from Twin Peaks, Invitation to Love. And that's is, what I always want to call this. Is this where I admit, like, I've watched, like, the first season of Twin Peaks? Well, there's only two seasons, so you're halfway there. I understand that, but I never, I know, but I never, I, and I haven't watched it since, like, it first aired. Why are you yelling like, at I've me about Cobra back. Kai if you've never watched Twin Peaks? Well, because, like, that kind of came and went. Cobra Kai is the moment. <laughs> you're, it's in the zeitgeist Twin right Peaks now. is an all-timer. I know it's it's just it's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. Well, and plus there's that there's, that, there's who the absolutely would die for Everett McGill, but it's a lot. <laughs> there's the and I, I didn't have like was it Showtime that it aired on originally? It aired on ABC originally, but so Showtime this, did the no. Return. I mean, like the second season. Correct. The, return uh, the third season would be the return, which that was on Showtime. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why we gave up on the second season, and then, like, I don't know. I just don't know. I've just never caught up with it, and I'm one of the weird people. So whenever I see everybody's, like, Twin Peaks fandoms come out, it makes me a little sad and jealous because I just I don't know about it. So 
Hmm. One of these days. Look, I'm just about to finally get HBO Max so I can actually watch The Sopranos. So, you know, I'm getting there. Um, that's a good show. Yeah, I've never <laughs> I've never seen it. I never had HBO, so or at least when it was like in its prime, I was never I didn't have HBO back then, so Okay. I, I missed out on it. But we do have a Sopranos family cookbook in our house. Oh, well then you're covered. Yeah. Um, so Erica and I have recently rewatched some of the Sopranos because it's been like 20 years and it still holds up. Mm, but not Cobra Kai. But not Cobra Kai. Mm. Because I uh, can't uh, uh. do something else while that's on. Whereas oh, the Sopranos, it's like, it's like I've like... seen this. I can have this on in the background. You you're, you won't get the reference, but there's like the, the guy who works at the convenience store and Family Guy and he wants, when there's an episode when Chris works at the convenience store and he's like, he said something about like watching crawl or something like that. And he's like, I need you to watch it so I can talk to you about it. Um, and that's, that's literally this case. Got it. I yes, promise to watch so. Cobra Kai. I promise. Trust me. I'm doing you a favor here. Yeah. No, I believe you. I'm doing you, I'm doing you a favor. The internet loves it. So how could yes. I not? That's true. Don't don't even worry about the internet. It's like I don't. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, like I get it. People are really excited about it, and believe me, every time I see it like pop up in my feed, I have to jump in the conversation because I'm a weirdo. Um, but I I knew I was gonna like it, but I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I have. Yeah. So it's it's kind of ridiculous how good it is. Right. So so out there, people, if you're if you're listening. Out there people. Is that like what we call our audience now? The out there people? I used to call them listeners, but I prefer the term out there people. Yeah, out there people. Yeah. If you're listening, pe- pester Patrick until he watches Cobra Kai. Absolutely. This has to happen soon. Yeah. So I've been, I've been trying for a few months now, so <laughs> well, listen to me. Uh, I will listen to you because I am going to watch it. All right. Well, I, I, I need a report back. And if I do watch it, you know, in the next month or so, it's still because of you and not because of the out there people. Okay, good. Um, and I, I, what I say is like the best compliment I can give it is the fact that it's going to make you want to immediately go back and watch the movies, um, including three, which is crazy to me. I don't even like two. Like I could see it making me what? want to. I don't like two. What? I like the Have you... Peter Cetera song. What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like two. What? It's been 30 years since I saw it, I'll bet. Uh, Oh, my God. I remember being a kid and going to see it because we loved the first one so much. Our parents took us. I think we were on vacation in Wisconsin, and they took us to see the Karate Kid Part 2. And even as a kid, I was like, that wasn't very good. But it's been a long time. I'm sorry. I'm capable of making mistakes. I don't don't think we can record this episode now. (laughs) You want to just call it? You want to just quit? Oh. Yeah, I actually we we uh, after season three hit, we went back and watched one, two, and three of the Karate Kid movies like the next night. Um, and I mean, I love one, lo- like I love one. You know, that was like my childhood. Um, two, I actually really loved this time. Um, I think maybe as an adult, it hit me a little differently. Like as a kid, it's a little drier. It's not as action packed. It's not the you know, it doesn't have that music video kind of styling to it where like pop songs like hits like during all the excitement, exciting things. Um, so it's a little more, I would say, like grown up. Um, sure. Yeah. But I really liked it a lot. Like I liked it more than I remembered. I liked it. Directed um, 
in three, I mean, is just a ridiculous, goofy ass movie. Um, but somehow Cobra Kai makes it better. <laughs> is it because they bring back uh, Thomas Ian Terry Griffith? Sil- T- uh, Terry Silver? Yeah. Not no, not yet. No. Um, but you know, there's there's always the potential. So, but there's I don't want to say anything, but yeah, there's uh, it, it's 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 so interesting to me, like how a show like thirty five ish years later can like make the mythology of three movies from so long ago like better by recontextualizing them. It's hard okay. to say because like I'm I'm working on a piece right now about like how the show like the show deals with like heroes and villains and if you look at like the original movies they're very black and white in terms of who are the heroes who are the villains um especially in the case of like the first two movies um and it sort of just changes the dynamics of a lot of that which is very interesting so all right yeah so there you go um but yeah good stuff so everyone's like are you guys supposed to talk about horror movies now? <laughs> we're going to Hold your horses out there, people. <laughs> out there, people, yes. <laughs> Put that out of shirt. There you go. Uh, that is what we're talking about this week. We are counting down our favorite horror movies of 2020. This is an episode that we do every year. We do our favorite movies of the year, and then we do our favorite horror movies of the year. Why I separate them out, I don't know, because it's fun to talk about 10 more movies, and because it's always fun to have you on to talk about horror movies. Um so I'm excited to to name our favorites. This was obviously a very good year for horror movies. Yeah, considering the fact that, you know, we saw a, de- a delay um, with a lot of the studio movies, um, you know, which was a bummer. Um, you know, I, I think if, if things had gone differently in 2020, well, I think we both would probably have a very different top 10 list. Um, but I think for me, that's sort of the silver lining is the fact that because of those studio, uh, delays basically kind of gave a lot of us a chance to sort of catch up on a lot of movies that otherwise we wouldn't have, or maybe we'd be watching finally now. Right, Um, right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. What, which is nice. You're way more in touch with the, uh, like release calendar than I am. What are some of the studio horror movies that got delayed? I can think of like Saint Maud and I can think of Spiral. The, so from the yeah, Book, of, Book Saw. of Saw. Right. Um so we had like Spiral, Candyman, Halloween Kills. Candyman and Halloween Kills. I can't believe I forgot those. I know. Two. Those are like okay. the two biggest ones, but I came up with Saint Maud. Um yeah, it was funny. I and I actually realized I forgot to put St. Maud like in my daily dead list of like movies to kind of watch out for this year because right. I did get a chance to see it last year um at a Beyond Fest screening. Um but I don't know what they're doing with it here. It's already out. It's been out in the UK. I think it's already going to home like Blu-ray and DVD over there. Oh. Um meanwhile, we can't even get to see it here right. for some reason. Um, the, the reality is with St. Maud, which is kind of crazy. Like I really, really loved St. Maud, but I'm like, it doesn't, it's not a movie that begs to be seen on a big screen. Sure. If that makes sense. Like it's, it's, it's a good movie on a big screen, but I don't think it necessarily has to be seen on a big screen. Um, so that one to me is a little baffling why a 24 is just kind of holding on to it. Cause it's not, it's not a prestige movie. I don't feel like, um, it's great. It's fantastic. Um, but 
I, there's no reason they couldn't have put that movie out already. Right. So that to me is a little weird. Um, and especially considering now, like, you know, who knows this year if we're going to see theaters up and running to like a 50% capacity by the end of the year. I have no idea. Um, you know, that's pure specula- speculation. I almost said speculos. Like, I've been watching way too many Christmas cooking movie, uh, shows during the holidays. Um, so, like, it, anyway, age 24 just needs to put that shit out. Yeah. That is basically where I'm at with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, honestly, with a lot of the bigger stuff. Like, Saw is supposed to come out in May. Um, I don't imagine theaters are going to be running at capacity or even at fit. Like, no, that seems at awfully any sort soon. of capacity by May. Yeah, it really does. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do with that. I know Jason Blum has come out and said, regardless, Halloween Kills is coming out in theaters in October, which I'm just like, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I want to see things on the big screen, but to be really honest, like. I don't really have it. I'm not really in a rush to get back to theaters. Like, I miss it, but I'm not in a rush. No, I'm the um, same way. I just, you know, I don't really feel like, you know, if I, if I get, you know, if I get the vaccine or whatever and I'm feeling adventurous and maybe the theater is mostly empty, okay, maybe. But I don't know. I After last year, I just don't know that I really feel like I'm in a, a rush to go sit in a room with a bunch of people again yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. Which is, you know, a little bit of a bummer. Right. Um, you know, we were talking about sort of the fallout, like how kids are going to deal with all this stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of us are going to be kind of a little loopy from all of this craziness uh, with the, the, the pandemic, I think, for quite a while. Like, I, I, don't, I really don't see theaters coming back from this for at least like two years from right now. At least. Yeah. At least. So... You know, I don't know. But yeah, um, I'm trying to think of what else. I don't remember if James Wan's Jalo movie was supposed to come out this last year and then they pushed it. Or if it was always slated for 2021, but that one I'm, I'm really excited about. And are they so, talking about putting sure that to VOD? I have no idea. I thought I like, just read something to that effect that it might well, do. Well, that's because it's... Yeah, because it's part of the Warner Brothers group of movies, so I'm guessing we'll probably see that like hit HBO Max oh, or whatever. Okay, yes, then maybe that's what it is that so, I saw. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, would I like to have seen Kong? You know, King Kong versus Godzilla on a big screen, of course. Sure. Um, but you know, I'll watch it at home, and I'll be just as fine, and it'll be great, and I won't die. So right. it's all good. Right. Yeah. So, hard to... but yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a weird year because. Even though we didn't have all those big movies, I still had a hell of a time like trying to figure out my favorite movies because there was a lot of really good stuff. There was. Let's talk about it. Um, I figure we'll just, as we usually do, count down from 10 to 1. Yes. I think what's, uh, I want to, my disclaimer is honestly, like for most of these movies, like the, the numeric value of where I'm placing them really doesn't even matter. Agreed. Because it's almost like, interchangeable because it just everything was really good yeah i mean other than sort of like my top movies like you know if something's sitting at 10 it very easily could have sat at seven as well yeah i mean that's kind of always the case but i would agree with you that this year more than even in the past the ranking is 
a little bit arbitrary. I, I had a general list of like, well, I know these are the movies I want to talk about, but in, uh, in true us fashion, I was ranking them moments before we got on the call here. So my ranking, classic I us. <laughs> I didn't put t- by that. I mean, uh, there's a tethered version of me who was also ranking movies moments before getting on uh, a Skype call. Um, the the ranking I didn't put as much like heart and soul or thought into. These are just the ten movies that I really wanted to talk about. You know, dig it. Yeah, I'm pretty much kind of the same way. Um, and again, I also probably could have done like ten more movies too. Um, but I was also really good. I kind of um, sort of sort of what with pure horror for this because like like if you look at my daily dead list like. I fudged it a little bit, kind of, you know, fudged the edges a little and kind yeah. of included stuff that's sort of what I would call genre adjacent. Oh, Trebek style. Yes. Oh, Trebek. Um, R.I.P. Yeah. I, I still have the last Jeopardy to watch and I haven't been able to bring myself to do it yet. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I that was a nice thing about last year is, like, I could do that and still feel like I have enough to talk about. So. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so there's like certain movies that like I, you know, like spontaneous. I absolutely loved that spontaneous, but I wouldn't call it a horror movie. So I put it on my my regular top ten. Um yes. my top ten movies of the year, but I left it off this horror list kind of for the same reason. Um and we could certainly make arguments for it being a horror movie, it not being a horror movie. I'm not really interested in having those arguments because we both... Let's let's do that for the next hour and a half. Let's All have right. a let's have an argument over what is horror and what isn't. That's that's riveting stuff. Well, we both really loved it. If you want to hear me talk about it, go listen to the top ten episode. If you want to hear Heather's thoughts on it, go read her article at dailydead.com. So we have covered spontaneous elsewhere. That's yes. Yes. So yeah. So I was very yeah, I, I sort of just kind of pushed some of the, the fringy stuff to the side so I could really focus it's on horror for this okay there's been years where we've done this where i've had to sort of fill in some gaps right because right. you know right right right. things weren't always so great um, <laughs> i think maybe the first like two or three years we did this i think i had to sort of fudge i had to sort of fudge things a little bit i didn't even i don't even think i included anything that was like there's sci-fi horror hybrids on here but there's no just sci-fi either so okay yeah, so like I left like the Vast of Night off and stuff like that. So I but. still haven't seen the Vast of Night. I'm a garbage person. Oh my gosh, I think you'd really like it. It's yeah. a talkie. It's an old timey talkie sci-fi. It's like it feels like kind of like Outer Limits meets Twilight Zone meets X Files, but like aren't those all the same show? No. Oh. You think that you think Twilight Zone is the same as X Files? No, I don't. I'm just making. I was a gonna joke. say. Oh, okay. I don't know. Sarcasm is lost on me. Look, I've had a really crazy beginning of this year. Yeah. I have no, I have no sense of humor anymore. All right, I apologize. <laughs> what is this sarcasm? You speak <laughs> so, all right. Well, should we jump into our our, our number tens? Let's do it. What is your number ten? <coughs> Pardon me. No problem. So, my number ten uh, is his house from Remy Weeks. Okay, that actually yes. appears higher on my list. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. And here I thought I was going a little bit outside the box. Um, 
I actually, it's it's funny. I, I ended up being sort of like a, a broken record on my daily dev list because so many of my movies that I really loved from last year were movies that were at Sundance last year, mm-hmm. um, which just proves how incredible the Sundance genre slate was last year. Um, his house, I actually missed it at Sundance. Um, so I was really excited to finally catch up with it. Um, and I really loved it because I, I, I think it deals with the idea of grief um, in a much different way, um, the way that it sort of also deals with sort of the insidious nature of, I'm trying to think of like how the best way to put this. God, my brain is so dead. Aren't you glad I'm on this week? Uh, yes, um, I am. yeah, there's, I think when you look at the movies that were released last year, um, and you look at his house, there's nothing out there that feels like his house. Um, and I think it's an exceptional, uh, you know, sort of parable about how we treat others, how we treat outsiders, potentially in any country, how people are sort of dealing with the idea of, you know, what we do for refugees and things like that. Yeah. And sort of the horrors that people have to go through, um, you know, to sort of acclimate, um, to feel like they're part of something, um, the, this idea of wanting a better life and sort of the price tag that comes with that. Um, but I just thought it was a, an incredible effort from, from the director. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, this is his first feature. I believe you're correct. Yes. And um, which is kind of crazy because there's quite a few first time directors on my list this year too. Interesting. Um, yes. So, yeah, I, I think um, it's just a movie that really hit me hard. I think especially in that third act when everything starts to ramp up. Yeah. Um, and you kind of see for um, the character Bull, like his his whole mental state is just like completely unraveling, um, obviously to the detriment of his marriage. You know, to, it puts him and his wife like squarely in jeopardy in terms of losing their status and threatens like you know to sort of undermine everything that they went through to get to this place um it's incredible like i i i knew i was gonna like it but i wasn't expecting for it to hit me the way that it did and there's certain revelations that i won't go into and in, um because i don't want to ruin it for people that i literally like i gasp yeah you know and there's only a few movies this year that made me gasp <laughs> uh and his house is one of them so i think it's it's an outstanding job uh, from Remy Weeks, who is a UK filmmaker, and I think he's done something really thought-provoking, very timely, um, very nuanced, the way he sort of handles things. Um, and I know for some of the, the, the more nerdier people out there, Matt Smith also makes an appearance, so that's kind of cool. I'm one of those nerdy people, because I was very Hi. excited to see him show up. <laughs> I've, I've never had a chance to really get into the Doctor Who stories, um, but I, you know, I, I understand what they mean to people. So they are all on, uh, HBO max. Okay. I'll, I will, I will take it shortly. <laughs> <laughs> There's what, only like 40 years of them or something. Is that? Well, not, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean all, I mean like from the Christopher Eccleston reboot of like the early two thousands. So not not all the old ones, but so I only have seventeen or so years to catch it's up. It's about twelve, I think. Yeah. Okay. I think it's Great. twelve That's series. That's no big deal. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should be fine. You could skip Christopher Fantastic. Eccleston. Uh, I just made people mad saying that. I, you could start with David Tennant and 
Oh, I just I think I just felt a rumble in the on the Twitter verse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody's favorite doctor is Eccleston and now they're mad at me, but it's okay <laughs> out there, people. Be calm. We all have a different favorite doctor. Uh, yeah, his house is really, really good. It's the kind of movie that you, makes you so excited to see what this filmmaker is gonna do next. And uh I appreciate the fact that the horror stuff is fairly limited in terms of like the supernatural horror stuff. There's a lot of real world horror in the movie. The yeah. supernatural horror stuff is fairly limited, but I appreciate the fact that it's very effective because sometimes when you're talking about a movie where the horror is largely a metaphor, they don't put a ton of work into making the horror effective. Uh, but it really is here, you know, the few times that it kind of rears its head. Um, another movie it made me think of, and I know it's not a movie that you love, I think you maybe only like it, or maybe you just don't love it as much as everybody else, is The Babadook. In terms mm. of horror as a metaphor for something else, but horror that works on its own. Um, because you could almost take the horror stuff out of this movie and it would still be an extremely just compelling drama about this married couple and their experience as refugees and the hell that they've been through. Um, but then you add the horror stuff on top of it and it, you know, makes it a more appealing to genre fans and B it makes it just a way more interesting movie, I think. Um, and it's a way of, literalizing some of that metaphorical stuff and it's it's really really effective it's on netflix for those of you who haven't had a chance to see it yet um it was one of those that netflix just kind of dropped on there and didn't tell anybody and if it wasn't for lists like this i don't i probably wouldn't have heard much about it yeah it's funny it's it's i think because I just always expect like the really great horror movies to go to Shutter. Um, for for so like so many months in my head, I was like, "Oh, this is on Shutter," and I was like, "Oh no, dummy, it's on Netflix." Yeah, um, yeah it was part of their October slate that just kind of it's it's so strange how they sort of ch pick and choose which movies to promote. Um, I actually think I had to like chase somebody down to do an interview for his house. That's wild. Yeah. Um, you know, which I get it because Netflix is putting out so many things. So it's like, you know, I get that their resources, especially after last year, are probably, you know, their hands are a little tied. Um, but yeah, I like I had to like sort of chase it down. And, you know, I think it's the only reason that I knew it was coming out was because I do the VOD and digital list every month. Right. Um, and I saw it was kind of coming up and I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to catch that because I'd heard really great things about it out of Sundance. Um and I was like, oh, well, it'll definitely be at some other festivals. And then Netflix picked it up and I was like, oh, well, there, there goes my chance. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it reminds me a lot of you mentioned the Babadook, which I sort of to me is sort of the counter. The Babadook's counterpart for me is Under the Shadow. That's which came out a few years ago. Another terrific point of comparison. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it really reminded me of, of that in that way. And I think even like um, when you talk about like sort of really stellar uh, look at like sort of real life horrors meshing with like supernatural. Um, yeah. It also reminded me a lot of La La Rona, not the curse of La La Rona, but La La Rona, <laughs> right. which is on Shutter. Which is on Shutter, yeah. <laughs> um, which was another really fantastic film I saw out of Sundance. 
So you're going to hear me mention Sundance a lot, I guess, All is right. basically what I'm getting at this, this, this episode. All right. All right. So what's your number 10? My 10 is a movie that is also on Shudder, uh, and that is Anything for Jackson. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, Sorry, my dog one. is freaking out. No, that's okay. Everybody. Anything for Jackson is about an elderly couple uh, that loses their grandson. And so they kidnap a pregnant woman to perform what they call a reverse exorcism and essentially put the soul of their grandson into her unborn baby. And believe it or not, things don't go according to plan. What? Yeah. In a horror movie? <laughs> it's, it, it, you know what? It caught me by surprise. Um, yeah, I just thought it was incredibly entertaining. I thought the scares were really well done. I thought uh, it's really funny which I wasn't totally anticipating. I really loved the performances of the older couple. Um, I mean, everybody in the movie is good, but I really in particular loved their performances. Um, I just, I appreciated all the gags and, uh, you know, it's another movie that's sort of about grief, although I would argue in a much more lighthearted way than something like His House, even though the movie isn't entirely lighthearted. Uh, it still has some heavy things to say about grief and loss and the things that we will do to sort of stave off that grief, to avoid feeling that pain, the lengths to which we will go. Um, but it's a very entertaining and kind of cheeky movie about that topic. And uh, I really dug it. I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. I had heard some people talk it up. Um, but I've heard people talk up a lot of the original movies on Shudder, and I don't always agree with them. Uh, so this one was a very pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, I think the reason the movie for, worked as well as it did for me um, was because of um, Julia Rich, Julian Richings and Sheila McCarthy, yeah. who play the older couple. And I also think the fact that it's a grandchild that's sort of at the center of this as versus like somebody's actual child child. Right. Uh, that makes it feel very different than a lot of, you know, sort of these types of stories that we've seen before. And obviously sort of the idea of putting a soul into a child, like definitely mixes up this sort of supernatural exorcism type of slant that we've seen from a lot of horror movies. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, and I love the creepy dude. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I, because it's in the synopsis, I'm not giving away, but I love the fact that it's like this sort of very normal old couple who you know they've been together forever but they're satanists right and it's it's just such an unexpected like character beat for them but like it's never the the fact that they're satanists isn't played for laughs it's just part of them um and it kind of comes into play in terms of what they're doing and things like that um but yeah there's some there's some really good stuff in there um especially once things start kind of amping up um in the later half of the movie, yeah. and, like these weird entities start showing up. Um, anybody who has issues with like sort of teeth uh, in horror <laughs> movies, there's some stuff that's going to mess you up in this movie, but in like a really good way. Um, and of course it has like, uh, I know Troy, Twisty Troy. I'm trying to remember his last name. I'm looking it up really quickly. Troy James. Um, he kind of plays one of the ghosts in this, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, I, it, it's interesting to see a movie that's sort of very centered on like it's it's almost in a, in a lot of ways a one like a one location movie, right? Um, but yet, like, kind of really 
do some things to kind of amp it up um, that I really didn't expect going into it. Um, that really keeps it from feeling very sort of like closed off in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, there's like a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. It's one of those where like somebody's like, oh, you should really cover this. And I'm like, oh, do I? Should I? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I covered that. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of maybe the last new thing I saw in terms of 2020 horror. And I watched it mostly because I was trying to check a box. Um, not necessarily expecting it to show up on my list, but I really liked it. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's those are the best. Those are the best surprises, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Um, should I hop into my number nine? Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, broken broken record. Wixen's gonna go back to Sundance again. Oh, good. Um, yes. And my number nine is Relic from Natalie Erica James. Now, this is a movie that I liked a lot, but is not on my list. So I'm excited to hear you talk about it. Yeah, it's so it's like it's weird because like I'm like I've been talking about like a lot of these movies for like a year now. So I'm like, God, what do I even have to say anymore? Um, but this one, I I knew I would like it going into it because like it has, a you know, obviously with Emily Mortimer, Scream 3 Forever. Um, <laughs> I was very excited. So that to me was just like already like, OK, cool. I'm, I'm already in the bag for this. Um, but. I guess because we lost my grandmother to dementia like years and years and years ago, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's just a really ugly disease. I mean, there's no good diseases out there, um, but there's something particularly cruel about Alzheimer's or dementia um, that really just, it, it just sort of feels like you're, you're almost watching somebody like die two deaths in a way. Ugh. Because there's like the part of you that you're losing the person that you, you, you've loved and you've known for, you know, however long. And then eventually they succumb to it. So it's almost like watching somebody die twice. Um, so I think in that respect, um, this one really hit me hard in terms of just, you know, sort of the, the, the heart of this story. And there's so many things that just really reminded me of what my family went through when we were losing my grandmother, um, particularly like just little things like the notes around the house. Um, because my grandmother was always very proactive. Like she was somebody who literally for 60 years of her life, like got up every morning, was making breakfast at 5 AM cooked all day. Like she was just one of those, you know, she was a good old West Virginia mountain woman kind of person, you know, where she was, she was always doing something. She was always in her garden or tending to her chickens for, for many years, things like that. Um, so like just little details like that, like, you know, really kind of like took me to a place I wasn't expecting to go. Um, and then ultimately left me completely devastated by, by the end. Um, it's, it's, it's a bleak movie. It's, it's not a feel good horror movie whatsoever. Um, really brilliant performances, especially, uh, Robin who plays, um, the sort of the matriarch of the family. Um, I think her character name is Edna. Um, and so I, I really, she, I just really loved her performance in it because I just wanted to hug her. (laughs) I just wanted Mm. to give her a hug and be like, you know, kind of bring her back. Um, and I think there's something really 
you know, fantastic about watching these different generation of women deal with this scenario because you have Emily Mortimer, who's, you know, it's her mother. Um, and then you have Bella Heathcote, it's, and it's her grandmother. And I think that there's always a really interesting relationship between mothers and daughters and then grandmothers and their granddaughters, um, which is something I can really relate to as well because I was always really close with my grandmother and I've always sort of been emission, emotionally distant from my mom. Um, so glad I'm getting therapy out of the way. In this episode. <laughs> um, so there's just a lot about this movie that really rang true that kind of just sort of rattled my emotions in a lot of ways and left me a heaping mess uh, by the end. Um, I, I just think Natalie did a fantastic job. She is a um, Australian filmmaker. Um, one of the cool things is apparently she shadowed Lee Whannell on Upgrade. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and again, I pretty sure this was her first feature as well i'm I think doing you're right she had check. some shorts maybe but this was the first let me see my here. memory is that this was the yes. first feature this is her first feature as well wow um so talk about a really great year for debut directors yeah, yeah definitely. feature filmmakers um but yeah i really i really love this movie um and you know again it's like i can't even believe it was a year ago that i first saw this because i feel like that was like like a month ago and then 10 years ago. So. <laughs> um, I'm very fortunate that I haven't really had an experience of going through that with somebody, you know, of watching somebody succumb to dementia or Alzheimer's um, yet. You know, I haven't had gone through that. I can't imagine what it would have been like watching that movie with that experience. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. And honestly, like to be, to really honest, like, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who very much has like this weird sort of fear of death. I mean, nobody wants to like die. Um, but I, I think for me, the, you know, as I'm getting older, like as much as I'm scared of dying, I think the thing that actually scares me most is something like dementia. Right. Um, because I can't, I don't know what I would do with myself if I couldn't do what I'm doing. Um, if that makes any sort of sense. Yeah, of course. And, I feel like that's kind of like where you're, you lose your identity and that kind of me the most. Um, and one of my aunts right now is like really kind of slipping in, in yeah, a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's, she's a year younger or she's a year older than my mom. So she'll be 70 this year. So, you know, um, but it's just, it's, it's just weird. Like, I think that to me, like, I don't want to die, obviously, and I don't want any sort of disease. But, like, I think for me, the, the, my biggest fear is, like, dementia or Alzheimer's. Yeah. yeah. I think just sort of that, that loss of cognitive awareness is what scares me the most. Happy times. Happy times. Relic, everybody. Woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that is that that's available for rent right now, but it's not streaming anywhere. I don't think, or is it on Hulu? I feel like a lot of the IFC midnight titles go to Hulu. Um, I don't think it's on Hulu yet. Okay. Uh, it recently came out. I think I want to say in December for home release. So it's Blu-ray DVD. Okay. So I'm sure it's got to be out there to rent somewhere. Um, so, but yeah, I don't think it's made it made, it's made its way to, to Hulu yet. Okay. As far as I know. Uh, my number nine is a much lighter pick. Oh, good. And it's it's a movie that I was like a little bit mixed on 
at the time, but as the year went on, I just didn't see how I could make a list and not include it. And that is host. Interesting. You know, what's funny. So I don't actually even have host on my list, but I loved it. Um, which I guess is sort of a testament to how many great movies there were this year. So I'm glad you included it. Yeah. I um, just, I, I, I watched it and I was like, well, that was a really effective exercise. You know, like they took this situation that's going on in the country right now. We're all in the world right now. I should say, uh, where we're all under lockdown and we're all using zoom to talk to each other. And they made a horror movie out of it and they made a really effective and I would argue scary horror movie out of it. And I, I think that's the thing that I appreciated most of, of all about it is that it really tries to be scary. It goes for gag after gag after gag of like trying to be scary and not a, not a lot of horror movies do that. Even the ones that we're talking about so far, even if they are kind of scary, they're using horror more as metaphor and host really isn't host is just like, Hey, this is a haunted house on zoom. Um, but as the year went on, I just, I, I so appreciated the, the way that this movie encapsulates 2020 uh, I appreciated the effort of writing and directing and making a pandemic horror film set around the pandemic while we're living through a pandemic. I mean, it's such an achievement. And the fact that it's as good as it is, is an even greater achievement. Um, so that's why it's on my list. No, I totally, I totally get it. Like, I hate to throw like throw around like catchphrases and stuff, but it's very Do much it. what I would call a zeitgeist movie. There it is. Will. There it is, folks. Um, it's very much a movie of the moment, yeah. if you will. Um, and I mean, it's not the first movie to address a pandemic that, that came out last year. Um, I believe that that distinction goes to uh, Corona Zombies, which I'm, I'm guessing is going to be higher on your list. I've literally seen Corona Zombies. Of course you have. Of course you have. <laughs> Of course you have. I'm I'm so shocked right now. This yeah. is, you can't even see my shocked face no, right now, but no. it's on. Yeah. Um, you know, and I what I what I loved about it was that yeah, obviously it, it captures this moment that we're all sort of living through, um, but it did it in a way that like it it wasn't about the pandemic. Um, and I haven't seen Songbird. I think that's the Michael Bay produced movie or whatever. I haven't seen that yet. I'll get to it. Maybe eventually we'll <laughs> see. Um, but it really did, you know, it, it not only does it really pack in some fantastic scares um, and does some really innovative things that I don't think we've really ever seen before. Um, but, you know, and it, again, I hate saying this because it sounds like so Twittery, but it really captures the mood of 2020. We're like, we're all just sort of desperate for connection. And what happens when you get a little more than you bargained for right. through that connection? Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's genius filmmaking. Um, the fact that like people had to, you know, be taught how to do special effects on themselves, like makeup effects on themselves, and then they had to rig their own special effects in the rooms and stuff. Um, it's unprecedented. Yeah. It's 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 really innovative, thoughtful. Uh, filmmaking, um, and I'm really kind of mad at myself that I didn't include it, so I'm glad that you did. <laughs> no, that's why it's good to have two lists, because there were certain movies, like I figured you would put Spontaneous on yours, which is why I left it off mine. Also, because I'm, I'm with you, it's not totally a horror movie, but I was like, well, yeah. this is great, because it gives us a chance to talk about more movies. So, we still get to talk about Host, 
And then we get to talk about whatever movie is on your list that took host's spot, you know? So I, I'm glad when we have different movies on our list because it gives us a chance to talk about more stuff instead of less. Um, and we didn't even mention the best part about host, which is that it's like under an hour. Oh my gosh. Like it just zips in, zips out. Yes. Like it gets it done. <laughs> it doesn't unreal. waste any time. No. Like we, we don't, we don't need like needless exposition. Like who cares? Like I, just get in there, scare our pants off and then get out. I can watch it two and a half times in the time it takes me to watch one wonder woman, 84. I haven't watched it yet. Well, watch host two and a half times instead. Okay. That's kind of what I'm getting. I'm, I'm the vibe I've been getting, and I've just been sort of putting it off. Yeah. I'll get there. I'll yeah. get there because I want to see it, so I should see it, but I'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. We brought, we brought up uh, host on our Corpse Club sort of best of 2020 episode. Sure. Um, and I think what's interesting to me about it, too, also, and I'll say this and we can move on, is – there's very rarely we're watched a movie and I'll be like, you know what? You really should watch this on your computer. <laughs> I can't yeah, think of right. very many With headphones on other or than like yeah. unfriended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I think host is a movie that benefits uh, from being seen on a computer. Like we watched it on our TV the first time and that was good. That was great. Uh, rewatched on my computer, headphones on, made it super creepy in the house, way more intense. I'll bet. Uh, yeah, and so it's one of those, like, if you happen to be one of the five people that are horror fans who haven't watched Hosts <laughs> yet, um, I, I don't know if those people exist anymore, because, I mean, it, that movie pretty much was like wildfire yeah. across social media. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't by any chance watched it yet, I kind of almost recommend doing it on your computer. Yeah. More so than on your TV. And it is streaming on Shutter. If you, like Heather said, for some reason haven't caught up with it yet, uh, a it's on Shutter. B it's less than one hour. It's it's literally less than a t an episode of like TV. Right. Like you know, you you can skip nine one one this week, and you can just watch <laughs> Host. I have been skipping nine one one every week, which really frees me up to watch a lot of movies. Yeah, you know it's amazing when that happens. <laughs> I know we were joking about like actually watching, sit down and watching sitcoms all the time. And yeah. I'm like, I don't remember what that's like, Yeah, but I used to do it. It's so weird. Anyway, anyway, uh, we are on to your number eight. Oh, we're already here. All right. Um, so my number eight is another movie that is currently over on shutter as a shutter exclusive. Uh, and it is Josh Rubin's scare me. Oh, Okay. Yes. Uh, again, Jesus, another Sundance movie. <laughs> I'm such a like a one trick pony this year. Um, I'm I'm a big like when you talk about movies that like I know I'm always going to love. I love movies about making movies like that for me is a given. Like I'll watch a movie about making movies any given day. A movie about storytelling is another thing that really kind of. Uh, revs my engines, so to speak. Um, and in a lot of ways, like, because I, I grew up watching something like Ghost Story as a kid and sort of understanding the power of good stories and how sharing stories is sort of this universal thing that we all do in one way or another, whether we're telling stories about our lives, stories that we kind of heard growing up, stories, you know, as we get older, things like that. Like, there's nothing that makes me happier than watching 
a movie about stories. I don't know how to explain that, but that's just sort of like a thing that I really, really love. Um, and I, I think Scare Me is a really fun, quirky celebration of that. Um, it has a lot of sort of offbeat, unexpected vibes to it. Um, and then it gets really dark in its third act. Um, and it's, I, I understand if it's not a movie for everybody, cause it means literally 90% of this movie is Josh Rubin and Aya Cash sitting in a room telling stories to each other. Um, but for me, like, that's what I loved about it. Like I could have literally sat in a room and listened to them talk for five more hours. Um, and I think it says a lot of really smart things about where we are in terms of how we view creativity between genders. Um, and I really applaud Josh Rubin for not only, you know, not only is like his character sort of exemplifies that, but I think his script really deals with it in a very thoughtful way. Um, and again, you know, Josh Rubin in this movie was he's writer, director, and co-star. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is also his feature film debut Holy cow. as a director. I'm double checking that right now. No, wait, wait. Uh, he's done a bunch of TV episodes and shorts. So yeah, I think this is his first feature too. Wow. Uh, yeah, what a good year to start establishing some new talent uh, <laughs> out there. So take notice, old old horror dudes who've been doing it for decades. There's a whole new crop of directors out there coming for you. Um, anyway, um, there's just a lot of really, really good stuff in this movie. I think there's a little bit of, I, w- I would say there's a little bit of a lag for me towards the middle part of it but i think once chris Red sort of shows up as this weird pizza dude um who also happens to love stories uh, i feel like that's where the movie kind of catches its second wind yeah and gets really fun again and then kind of bananas from there <laughs> um and i will say uh, i believe the character's name is bettina who is the uber driver or the <laughs> rideshare driver i don't know if she's specifically uber but she's pretty fun in it as well she but it really a... i mean it's like literally it's a movie about two characters like it's it's really you know when you talk about movies that are like oh you know one location does it feel small um in a lot of ways it feels very intimately crafted but yet the way that they sort of heighten the stories with these sort of visual flourishes adds a lot. Um, it feels like nothing again. I feel like we've seen in the quite some time. So I had a total blast with it. I was so impressed with the way that it brought everything to life through performance and through lighting and sound design. You know, there's no makeup effects. It's just that... being a kid again. Yeah. Well, I think a different like movie. Like when you overact and like try to be like creatures and things <laughs> like where you didn't have to give a shit about like pretenses. Like you're just being a goofy, like you're telling goofy stories and trying to impress somebody. I think a different movie would have cut away and made it an anthology in the traditional sense of like, now we're going to show you the story that they're telling. Um, and the fact that this movie doesn't, that it stays with these two actors in this room. And then a third actor when like, as you said, Chris Red shows up, um, I thought it was so impressive. I thought it was such an interesting, like hosts, such an interesting technical exercise. It lost me a little in the third act. Um, I didn't love where it landed. Um, I probably would have liked it a little bit more with a different 
turn, but whatever, it's fine, because I was on board with it for almost the entire thing, and uh, was very entertained by it. Um, and between this and the second season of The Boys, this was like the year of Aya Cash. I never watched Year of the Worst, so I think for a lot of people, it's been several years of Aya Cash, but uh, she had a great 2020. I haven't caught up with the boys yet either. That's actually next on our, our show watch list. It's really good. Yeah. It's one of those, like we just, I've been seeing ads for it forever. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I think this is the year we do it. Yeah. So no, she's, she's just phenomenal and she's the best. And I kind of want to just hang, hang out with her. <laughs> um, and in some ways, I don't even know if this is a thing or not. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I, what I, I love, I love her little sweater with the little hands on it. Cause it just reminded me of like, a different version of the sweater from Black Christmas. The Black Christmas sweater, yeah. So it's like an extension of that. I don't know. Anyway, that's that may just be me reading into things too much. But anyway, <laughs> it's it's fun stuff. Like I just yeah. Uh, and I, I it's I, I recently uh, over Christmas break I had a chance to read this, um, which was really I, I don't get a chance to read very many scripts. I don't have sort of the time for it. Um, but Josh actually sent me a copy of it, and I was like, all right. I'm going to take a breather. I'm not on my computer. Let's do this. Um, and it's really for, for anybody out there. And I, I would suggest, and he's been selling them and he's, he's got a new batch that's coming up soon, but anybody out there who I think is interested in getting their feet wet as a director, um, as a visual storyteller in any capacity, I think it would really benefit you to read it. Um, because I think there's a lot to take away from what a really good script can do for you when you don't have a huge budget to fall back on and how you can make something compelling with very few characters with a very limited location. Um, I just think it really, there's nothing about it that feels downplayed because of its limitations. Right. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. That's number eight scare me. And that is streaming on shutter. Um, I think my number eight is on Shutter as well. Actually, Shutter is gonna kind of rule. I think both of our lists. Um, we won't spend a ton of time talking about my number eight because it is unfortunately tied into some problematic shit. But uh, my number eight is Joe Begas's oh. VFW. Oh, see, for me, didn't that come out in twenty nineteen? Like festivals and stuff, but it didn't officially come out here till February of 2020. Oh my God, was that really? Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. Oh my God, it really did come out in February. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, VFW, aside from having one of my favorite casts of the year, uh, is just kind of an amazing riff on Assault on Precinct 13 about a bunch of veterans who are hanging out together in a VFW that is besieged by drug-addled punks. It is exceptionally violent. It is sort of neon-soaked synthesizer score 80s throwback that so many modern horror movies have become, but this one did it better than most. I have liked, uh, to one degree or another, I've liked all of Joe Begas' movies, but this one is definitely my favorite. Yeah, I would say this one's my favorite from him as well. Um, just a really fantastic cast from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, I love getting to see like a bunch of the old dudes kicking ass. Speaking of Cobra Kai. Oh, that's Martin right. Cove. Martin Cove, yeah. 
Yes, who I got to see. Like, can I just tell you, like, the one of the most surreal experiences from, and I can't, like, this feels like a, a lifetime ago, but, like, Fantastic Fest 2019 was sitting in a room with Bill Sadler and Martin Cope. <clears throat> nice. And these two dudes were, like, they had a few drinks in them. They were still drinking. They were having the time of their lives. <laughs> and I seriously, I don't even, I think I asked, like, two <clears throat> questions, and they were just off and running for 20 minutes, uh, which was just incredibly surreal. Like, to tell me as a six-year-old kid who grew up like loving Karate Kid, like you'd be sitting in a room one day with John Kreese, like, holy crap. Um, but I, I think what's great is like, you know, obviously the production shingle that this movie came out under is, right. it's it's a thing. Right. Um, and it wasn't, and it wasn't a movie that had a huge budget to it. Um, and yet you get a sense from everybody who worked on it, that they really loved being a part of it. Um, and I think there's something to be said for when movies can like respect and sort of show that like older actors, like that there's still gas in the tank, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's just getting to see like these old dudes kind of team up and take down a bunch of youths. I guess maybe <laughs> I'm at the point where I'm, I'm now, I'm now somebody who, when I watch movies, I favor the older people over the kids <laughs> I don't know when that happened, but here I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Stephen Lang in that movie is fantastic. Uh, you know, George Wentz in there too, uh, who also shows up in Bliss, right? Uh, another right, Vegas joint, right? Um, so that was really fun to kind of get like a one-two punch of of George Wentz doing some genre stuff again. Um, yeah, I, it's, it, there's just some really really good stuff in there, and you know, unfortunately, it has a bit of a, a storied legacy, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, but I think if nothing else, I mean, it proves that Joe Bagos really knows how to make the most out of anything that he touches, like regardless of whatever he's working with. Um, and I also think a lot of that comes, you know, with sort of his collaboration with Josh Ethier over the years. Definitely. Um, I think the two of them being able to sort of kind of hit the ground running together and just, I want to say scrappy because it sounds like I'm talking about like super cheap filmmaking but like I, I remember like josh making he did like a twitter thread about like certain things that he had to do on vfw and maybe even bliss because they just didn't have the budget for certain departments and so he had to kind of like step up and learn things and stuff like that um but again i think that's a testament to anybody out there who maybe wants to make a movie who maybe doesn't have a ton of money like there there are ways to really make kick-ass movies if you don't have a big budget and this is so, that being said, let's get Joe some money. Yeah. Is this the first movie that he didn't write? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. This was a sort of a gun for hire scenario. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as a calling card movie, I think it works as well. I mean, all of his movies have been a little bit on the referential side and it would be interesting to see him do something maybe a little less referential, but I tend to really like his reference movies, so I can't really complain. Um, because the movies he's referencing are all movies I love. So, you know, it's like, I, you know, I have no complaints. It's funny because I'm on the I, the IMDb page. And again, we were talking about this before we started recording, but there's a little sidebar called Related News. And two of the three related news stories are Patrick's favorites of 2020 and Heather's favorites of 2019. <laughs> mm, I'm, You know what? I probably put it on like my list of things to watch yeah. for next year. Yeah. Um, 
so I'm, I'm curious. Did I do that? I, I don't. God, I don't even remember like what my favorites of 2019 were. Oh, there they are. That was a long time. Um, that was oh, eight years ago, by the way. It was. It really was. Uh, <laughs> boy, 2019 was a pretty good year too. Yeah, it's it's that. like the first thing you say in one of the paragraphs. Like it didn't come out during 2019, so watch for it. You know. Ah yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really it's a really good movie. It's really entertaining and. Again, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it because, as you said, there's a lot of problems related to its production. Uh, but I wanted to call attention to it because I did really like it and it earned a spot on my list. Uh, and now we can move on to your number seven. All right. So my number seven uh, is a movie that, like, the first time I saw it, I liked it. The second time I saw it, I absolutely loved it. I know what this um, is. The Wolf of Snow Hollow? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm so predictable. I think I said the same thing in my, my favorites list of 2020. Um, I really, really like Jim Cummings as a storyteller. Um, I, I've, I've come to sort of realize that after this. And, oh, my God, I'm blanking on the other. Oh, Thunder Road. Okay. I haven't um, seen Thunder Road. Yeah, I, I only... Why did I watch it? It was on some ch channel and I sort of stumbled upon it about 15 minutes into it and then I just couldn't turn it off um, but he has like this really sort of deliberate quirky storytelling approach um, where I think if you're not expecting it the first time could be sort of off-putting because it's just there's a there's a really interesting sort of way that things are paced in this movie the way that the sort of the dialogue intersects with each other. Um, it's again, it's one of those, like if you're not, if you're not expecting it and you're not in the mood for it, I totally understand why somebody would kind of come away from and be like, Oh, okay. Um, so that's why like the first time I said, I liked it. Um, and then I got to rewatch it again at beyond fest at the drive-in. And that's when it all really sort of settled in for me. And I was like, Holy shit, this movie is fantastic. Um, and I love the fact that, like, I mean, ultimately, the smartest person in this movie is really Ricky Lindholm's character, who is <laughs> sort of this poor, put-upon detective who's just dealing with the banana banana pantsness of her superior, who is played by Jim Cummings. Um, who just, you know, she's she's she gets it, and yet she's just kind of waiting for him to kind of catch up. Right. Um. But yeah, it's and again, it, it's one of these movies that like I understand like there's a lot of people who sort of had issues with how the film resolves itself. Um, I had zero issues with that whatsoever. Um, I actually thought it was kind of different, and I was like, because I, it's a it's basically a story about like a town that's sort of under attack by a mysterious werewolf entity. Um, but it's it's kind of like. <sighs> David Lynch, by the way, of Super Troopers. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's. It, I like movies that sort of defy being able to be put like in a neat little box, and that's what Wolves of Snow Hollow is for me. Like, it's not a movie that you can just stick in one box, and that really sort of sums it up. Like this movie, sort of just kind of, it's it's its own thing, um, and it's not compartmentalized, and it's just really a, a really fun sort of whodunit mystery with werewolves and snappy dialogue and you know i i, I think I, I 
the first time again and saw it, I was like, oh, okay. And then, like, the second time, the scene where, like, they're inspecting, like, um, remains from an attack and, like, they're talking about the fact that, like, the vagina is missing. And I was just like, what is happening right now? <laughs> um, and also, you know, it's the last performance we get from Robert Forrester. Yeah. Um, which is sort of this very bittersweet note to the movie as well. Um, and I love the fact that, like, Jim got to sort of be on this journey with Robert Forrester, who very much understood the type of movie he was making. Um, and his character is really fun as well. So it's a... Uh, it, it's definitely a movie that I, I will revisit in the future. Um, there's a lot of it sort of has like, you know, as I said, D- David Lynch by way of super troopers, but I also kind of feel like, I feel like this is a really fun movie that I would like to sit down and watch with Joe Dante. If that makes any kind of sense. Okay. I don't know. I just feel like he would really get a kick out of it. And I'd like to, like, I think this is something that like, I don't know. It could almost play well with like something like the burbs. I don't know how to explain it. No, I could see that because again, you're talking about a movie where one character is sort of very convinced of something and nobody around him seems to believe him. Um, and it's, it is, as you said, its own thing. And that's what I really liked about it too, is that it's so, it feels so original, you know? Uh, and it, it has a lot of like tricky tonal stuff because it is very funny but it's also talking about, you know, his dad retiring and getting older and possibly facing that moment where he's going to pass on. The Jim Cummings character is deeply flawed. You know, he has these major anger issues. He's a recovering alcoholic. Um, terrible dad. Terrible dad, <laughs> right. Um, so it's there's a lot of serious stuff in the movie, and yet it is also a very funny movie. Um, I love a good snowy horror movie and I like you am a fan of the way that things kind of resolve because I think it just speaks to the movie being interested in being its own thing. I think had it gone a more conventional route, it wouldn't be the movie that it is, which is this very sort of offbeat horror comedy procedural. um, That's very, very special. I really like it too. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, whoa. I was like, slow down. And then I like really kind of let it just do its magic on me, if you will. Um, and I was like, holy shit, that was super fun. And what was really great is like the one, again, if I'm looking for silver linings to come out of 2020, it's that I actually got to sort of share a lot of more movies that I see at festivals with Brian um so we got to see it together and somebody like we love talkies in our house like we call them our talkies (laughs) um and like i knew when i saw this i was like oh he's gonna have a fun time with this yeah and sure enough like we were talking about like you know we were just in general talking about like our favorite movies of 2020 and he was like oh i really like the 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 police uh werewolf movie that we saw and i was like wolf of snow hollow and he's like yes he's like we should watch that again i was like see that made it all worth it so it's like it's just you know again when you have a movie then kind of come along and again do something different and like just i don't know just really again do something really clever with its storytelling like i'm immediately going to be a fan uh i'm easy that way so uh congratulations to jim cummings for for doing something very unexpected here um and i it's like sort of his first foray into 
the the genre realm. Um, but I'd like to see him do more. Yeah, definitely. And I hope maybe more with Ricky Lindholm too, because she's awesome. She's great in the movie. Yeah, I mean everybody's great. It's a great ensemble. Um, yes. My number seven is the Mortuary Collection, a horror anthology written and directed by Ryan Spindell that kind of snuck up on me because the way that the stories are laid out, they kind of get better as they go along. So it starts with a kind of a short throwaway story. And I was like, well, that wasn't anything great. And then he has the character say, well, that wasn't anything great. And I think, oh, okay, he knows what he's doing here. And progressively the stories get weirder and, and better and uh, there were, we had a handful of anthologies this year. This one was my favorite for sure. I felt like it really captured um, that cool EC Comics vibe. You have Clancy Brown crushing it as the host, sort of, of the anthology. He's this undertaker um, with an amazing name. Uh, his name is Montgomery Dark. And I would love to see... More movies with Montgomery Dark. Of course, the way that this resolves, that makes that unlikely. But um, I was a big fan of this movie. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. I did. Um, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of share a similar spiel that I did on our favorites of 2020 Curse Club episode. Um, so I actually have a little bit of a history with this movie. Oh. Um, yes. So back in 2010, um, when I was at my previous site, um, I sort of did this contest for, uh, short films and, uh, the winner of the contest was Ryan Spindell's The Babysitter. Oh, no kidding. Which is one of the segments yeah. in here. Yes. I think my favorite and, segment. Yes. Uh, and it's a great segment. It's a great script. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of met and then he told me how he actually, the babysitter was actually part of something bigger and that he wanted to make this movie called the mortuary collection. Um, so we actually worked together for a while on it. Uh, and then he took it in a different direction. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. So <laughs> yeah, no, no. And it's, it's fine. It's fine. Like it was, it was a little bit of a bummer at the time and a lot of a bummer actually, cause the movie's so great. Um, but you know, as I kind of explained, and it sounds weird because it sounds like, oh, God, drama. But it's not drama. <laughs> like, you know, it just it is what it is. Because I it, in 2010, I didn't know what the hell I was doing with anything. So, you know, I think Ryan made the smart move in terms of taking it somewhere where he could get it made and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's totally fine. Um, and in fact, I think if anything, for anybody out there who thinks like, oh, you know, you're just going to write a script and immediately somebody's going to pick it up and you're going to go make a movie. I mean, this is a movie that Ryan's been trying to make for like 10 years. Right. Like that's a decade. Um, and rather than just sort of sit on his laurels, in the meantime, he was out there hustling, making other short films, proving, you know, who he was as a storyteller, as a director and things like that, um, which is what you should be doing. Like if you have something like the Mortuary Collection that you're so adamant about getting made um you know don't just sit around and wait for that to happen you should be doing other things and you know as you want to sort of establish yourself so it's 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 strange i didn't feel comfortable putting it on my list because i'm sort of close to it in sure, a way sure um 
but I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm genuinely glad to see him being able to sort of make this movie because I know this was something he was very passionate about 10 years ago. And I think that passion, even a decade later is still, you know, very sort of ingrained into the final product. Like that movie just, it drips atmosphere. It feels like a love letter to horror. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, you mentioned EC Comics, which I know is a big influence on him. And I think the other thing that's really great is back when we were talking about the movie originally, you know, there was two actors that he wanted to play the mortician. Um, one of them was Tim Curry, and this was pre right. before Tim had a stroke. Um, and the other one was Clancy Brown. And so the fact that he was able to get Clancy and the fact that Clancy obviously is having a hell of a great time in this movie. <laughs> um, it's really awesome. It's really cool. And I think it's, again, I think it's a testament to, you know, sort of indie filmmakers who have to go out there and really, you know, the, the word hustle gets thrown around a lot. But, like, to stay dedicated to something for 10 years is, like... Like, that's a lot. Like, I don't even know. My marriage didn't last that long. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I was checked out of my marriage before Ryan was checked out of his movie. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 really great to sort of see him be able to kind of get to enjoy, like, that victory lap now. Um, and I've seen it show up on a lot of other movies, uh, like a lot of other lists. I, Scott was the one who mentioned it uh, on our episode of Corpse Club. Um, you know, and I think it really does like there's, it's really hard to sort of pull off anthologies. Um, I, I think for me, my, like my favorite anthology, even though, uh, it didn't make my list for some reason, again, it was just sort of like, maybe we should have gone to 20, who knows? Um, I really like scare package. I loved one segment in scare package and I thought about putting just that segment on my list, but I felt like that might've been. A dick move to the other filmmakers involved in Scare Package, which I didn't see. Want to I do. pretty much loved almost all the segments except okay. for one. Okay, there was like one I was. I, I would say I loved most of them. I liked one of them, and I disliked one of them. The rest of it really worked for me. Okay, I think I um, loved one. I liked several others, and then probably disliked the same one. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I guess if nothing else, it's really great to see anthologies still thriving. Um, but I do think it shows that sometimes the best approach to anthologies is sort of having a singular vision behind them. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So. And I knew he had been working on that movie for a long time, but I don't think I realized it was a full 10 years. Yeah, because I was, I actually went back in my emails and I looked up stuff because I was like, because I still have all of it. Because uh, we actually did like some like mock-up artwork. I had an artist do some stuff, um, and I believe we actually got together. It was like July of 2010. I think was the first time we met up. Wow. Yeah. So, for those of you out there who are like, oh, there's, I wrote a script and I'm mad because nothing's happened after a year. Like, strap in because <laughs> it's <laughs> you know, it could be it can be a long journey. So. But I do hope that this means we're going to get more features from Ryan. Yeah, definitely. Um, because I think you proved that he he knows what he's doing. Um, and I'm pretty sure I think Studio ADI did the effects as well, which were pretty fantastic as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good uh, stuff. Yeah. All right. You're number six. 
Sorry, I had to cough there on my mute for a second. No problem. All right. Number six, uh, featuring one of your favorites. Ooh. Um, I'm going to go with Underwater. Oh, very nice. Yes, K-Stew. Definitely one um, of my favorites. Yeah, it's interesting because this movie apparently sat, sat on the shelf for a few years. Yeah, you um, can tell because T.J. Miller's in it. Yeah, I mean, has really anybody's idiotic behavior like actually stopped them from getting <laughs> roles? So, like, does that is that even a, a a measuring point at this point? Like, probably not. No, no, no. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> like Mel Gibson's still starring in movies. Oh, like, that's like true. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't see but, his yeah, I, evil Santa movie or whatever the hell that I was. I didn't but... either. I, I'm like, everybody's out there reviewing it. I'm just like, why? Yeah. I don't know. But then I also like watch Lethal Weapon every Christmas. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Everything's complicated. It's very complicated. I just put VFW on my list. Listen, we're, none of us are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, yeah. So I, um, so William Eubank, who is the director of Underwater, he made this year... Oh, he made this year. He made this movie a few years ago called The Signal, which is not the A.J. Bowen The Signal. Right. This is uh, the this Lawrence is Fishburne Lawrence one. Fishburne The Signal. Which I haven't seen. Um, it's it's good. Like, it's uh, it was way better and more unexpected. It was just, it was sort of a very nice surprise to kind of come along um, for me. And again, this is a movie I saw, gosh, like six or so years ago. Um, but I was like, oh, that was kind of interesting. And then I can't believe that it literally was like another five or so year or three or four, whatever, however, I don't remember if this made 2018 or 2017, who knows what is time anymore, really? <laughs> um, so I, I really coming into this, I didn't sort of have the, I guess I had the ignorance is bliss. Cause I just wanted to watch, wanted to watch a big old creature feature. Set in water, set under you know under the water, hence the name underwater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, a lot of people sort of called the movie derivative. Whatever, I don't give a shit. Um, is it derivative? Is is anything new anymore? I don't know. Um, I just knew that literally what I thought was going to be sort of the second act of the movie was the first act of the movie. Um, right. And it just like it it doesn't waste a single moment of time, and it doesn't stop from there. Um, and Kristen Stewart is freaking badass in this as well. Uh, and I really love her in it. I love the final act. It just like, it has balls. Like I want to, like, if you're going to, if you're going to tease me with big concepts and sort of this like big, huge magnanimous idea or whatever it is, like, and you're going to give it to me, like, thank you. Because I've seen so many movies that have sort of done that where they're like, oh, we're teasing this really big thing. And then, like, they don't really ever get there. Um, and I think to Underwater's benefit, it goes there. Um, and it makes me want more. I want more of this. I want to know what's in the water. Um, <laughs> I want to know where, the, like, what is this thing doing now? And again, I'm being sort of vague for people who haven't seen it because nobody saw it in theaters. Um, for some reason, apparently, nobody was listening to me. Um but yeah, it was just a movie that really, when it comes to super sort of ambitious creature features, like it just gets it done. Um, really fantastic set pieces. Again, let's see Kristen Stewart doing more action stuff because like she's awesome. <laughs> I mean, she's awesome at everything, but she was just really great in this. And uh, again, it was like, sort of repeating myself, but like my, my sort of 
like, I guess I would say like my kind of like more embarrassing story from last year is that we went and saw Underwater uh, at the Alamo Draft House downtown L.A. And they had like a special screening. They did a Q&A, which, again, I still can't even believe that was last year. So anyway, after the screening, they usually they had a party and I don't do the parties because I'm no fun. I'm, I'm very much a stick in the mud. So I was leaving. And as we were leaving, um, we get off in the elevator because there's only one floor you can park on to go to the, the draft house in downtown. And as we get off the elevator, Kristen Stewart is standing there with like her super awesome, cool friends. Like they're, they're like you like you'd see these people at like a club. And you're like, oh, these are the cool kids. Right. Um, meanwhile, they're literally standing next to my piece of crap 2007 Honda Civic <laughs> that's like beat up. It's like scratches everywhere, dents in the front. Like the car already at that point before my car accident was like hanging on by a thread. Like the 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 wheel knocked on the passenger side. And now I have to get into my really piece of crap car in front of all of these cool people and Kristen Stewart and drive away. Like they were literally less than 10 feet. And I was like, I can't even believe I'm so embarrassed right now. So anyway, um, Kristen Stewart is super cool. I am super not cool. Uh, and underwater rules, I guess, is the moral of that story. <laughs> underwater does rule. Um, it's one of the few horror movies that I put on my just top 10 movies list. It, nice. it crossed over because I think it's so good. Um, it's one of the few movies I got to see in a theater last year. And... Uh, I'm so glad I did because some of the images were really rewarded by that big screen, particularly as we get into the third act. But again, as you point out, even the first two acts are so compelling. I mean, there's stuff that like, there's a point at which like she's able to find other characters on the bottom of the ocean floor after being separated. And I'm like, is this a dream? Cause there's no way she's actually finding these characters. Right. Who cares? We have to be able to overlook some of the internal logic of the movie because uh, the rest of it is so rewarding. And I think I even called out the sequence on last week's episode, but that when they first put the suits on and they have to like dive down and the room starts filling with water mm -mm. Right, right before the pressure comes in. And, uh. um, it's just so good. I mean, I caught that scene on HBO one day and had to sit down and watch the rest of the movie because that scene is so suspenseful and compelling. Um, and the whole movie is like that. I mean, you just kind of go from one set piece like that to another. Uh, it's really, really good. And there's just enough character stuff, just enough thematic stuff to kind of carry you through. You know, it's not just an exercise about monsters in the water. Um, because she's recovering from a tragedy and you have the stuff with Vincent Cassell and his kids and um, there's just enough of it to kind of make you care about these people. You have the kind of romantic subplot with John Gallagher Jr. and his partner. So there's like enough there to carry you through, but it's mostly about the exercise of this big underwater monster movie and it rules, as you said. And I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's a monster movie people are going to die but if nothing else tj miller is death <laughs> yeah i mean the, there's so. the way that the death before tj miller the way that that one is staged that i was just kind of referring to like mm, i haven't yes. i haven't seen that in a movie before you know and that's really cool yeah yeah i know it's it's tough because like you know i love the deadpool movies but he doesn't make the you know easier to revisit sometimes <laughs> 
Um, all right, well, we can move a little faster now because my number six has already been talked about, and that is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Ah, fantastic. Which was uh, your number my... seven. Yes. So my number, where's my number six? Hold on a your second. Your number six was underwater, so we're at your oh, five. Oh, yes. Okay, now we're at five. Jesus. I told you earlier this week that math is apparently not my strong <laughs> suit these days. Uh, so my uh, number five, five, yes, that's what I'm doing here, uh, is from one of my favorite modern directors. Uh, it's The Dark and the Wicked from Brian Bertino. Ah, yes, I knew this would appear on your list, and I'm glad because that means we're going to talk about it. Yes. Um it's one of those movies I actually don't want to talk about too much because sure. I feel like it's a movie that it's it's best experienced with knowing nothing about it. Because I really I, the only thing I knew about it going into it was that it was directed by Brian Bertino, and that's okay. all I needed. Okay. Um. <clears throat> so I, <clears throat> you t- you sort of talk about like emotionally devastating horror this year. Um. If you really want to like depress the shit out of yourself, like. Watch this in Relic in one night, um, and I think you're pretty much covered. Um, again, it sort of deals with parental issues uh, in a very different way than Relic does. Um, and there's there's very few movies that I would say sort of really crept up under my skin and actually left me unsettled. Um, but The Dark and the Wicked definitely got there. Um, it, it, it takes a lot to sort of leave me rattled, um, and I think this movie does an extremely good job of it. Um, there's some fantastic set pieces in this movie that just like, again, I'm going to throw away, throw around cliche terms. Like they, sh- it shredded my nerves. Like <laughs> it's a white knuckle thrill ride. I don't know. <laughs> um, but there's, there's some pretty messed up stuff in this. Uh, I will say that there's a scene in this movie that everybody sort of goes back to in terms of the, one of the, the WTF moments of the movie. But I'm like, well, we kind of saw that in the grudge this year as well. So I can't really give it as much credit for that scene in particular because we had a very similar scene in The Grudge, um, but still disgusting and horrifying and super effective all the same. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Marin Ireland and Michael Abbott Jr. are fantastic in the movie. Xander Berkeley shows up really briefly. Um, but talk about very brief characters that just pack a wallop. Um, I think he has like maybe five minutes of screen time and I haven't been able to get him out of my head all year. Um, just really great, dark, bleak, grim stuff. Um, so if you're looking for sort of something that's a little more on the serious side of horror, uh, I think the dark and the wicked gets it done. It is very serious and it, it, it does exist as you pointed out very nicely, kind of right between something like relic and something like host in that there's a lot of, uh, dark metaphorical horror but it also has a lot of genuinely scary set pieces like host does where it's kind of one scare after another which i really appreciated about the movie because again i don't see a lot of horror movies that like really try to scare you with more than like a jump scare you know obviously there's plenty of movies that do jump scares very very well but um I thought the dark and the wicked really tried to be scary. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. It's uh it's definitely one of the most unnerving movies I saw last year. Yeah. 
And uh, that is, what is that, available to rent now? I want to tell people where they can see these things. Yeah, it's it's out on Blu-ray DVD. It's available okay. to rent. I don't okay. think it's streaming anywhere yet. No, I think you're right. But yeah, you can rent it on Prime Video um, or Vudu or wherever you rent your movies. My number five, since we're getting short on time here because my son's drum lesson is going to start in a little bit. I just realized <laughs> uh, it's good. Cause we already talked about that and that is his house, which oh, was your number that. 10. Yeah. So we already covered it, but that's my number five. All right. So we're at your four. Oh, wow. Uh, so my number four um, is Gretel and Hansel from oh, very nice. Yes, from Oz Perkins. This Osgood came very Perkins. close to making my list, uh, almost based on the score alone and the photography. Oh. I mean, there's a lot that I liked about the movie, but that score was one of my favorites of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just this movie, like it was just so primed to be Heather Bait uh, <laughs> in the best possible way um, between having Oz Perkins in the director's chair um, speaking of ghost story, having Alice Krieg play the witch in it, um, and Sophia Lillis mm -hmm. as Gretel and sort of, they, again, it's one of those things where like, we've seen a billion takes on the Hansel and Gretel story over the years, right? Like we, we have no shortage of movies and TV story, like shows and cart animated cartoons and things like that. We've seen this story time and time and time and time again. Um, and I think how, uh, Rob Hayes, who wrote the script for this, was able to sort of take the things that we knew about it and sort of turn them into something else. Uh, was really clever. And again, I think it's a movie that just kind of came and went last year. Again, I think it came out like in January of it last was year, which feels like underwater. Like it was one of those like dumped movies. Yeah. I bet more people are wishing they went and saw movies in theaters last January. You now, think? Aren't they? Yeah. I'll bet. I bet they are. I bet they are. Um, little do they know. Um, and it just, it's, it's so like, when you talk about movies that are quote unquote, my shit, this is like my shit. Uh, and I've actually watched it two more times, like since, because I just, I, there's so much to really pick apart in this movie between the production design. You mentioned the score, which is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I wish I had it. Um, I, I think Alex Krieg's performance in it is just really fantastic and creepy and wonderful. Um, I think it has a lot to say about sort of how women are viewed in society, even though it takes place in sort of older times, but sort of timeless because it doesn't really, isn't really given a specific time period either, um, which sort of makes it feel timeless. Um, there's just a lot of really, really good stuff in here. There's some really gory, gross things in this movie as well. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I really wish it was something that more people had kind of given it a chance back when it came out last year. Um, and again, I think it just proves um, Orion really took a lot of chances last year, you know, in terms of doing this and then sort of their rollout for Bill and Ted. Um, and it really proved that, you know, I, Orion's still something from my childhood that's still very much a part of my adulthood. And I'm really appreciative of that. I know I get so excited when their logo comes up on like a new movie. Right. It's, just, it's fun. It's just fun. And it's still the same. Yeah. It's still the same treatment of it and everything. Right. So, like Universal updates theirs. Orion's like, no, we're going to keep we're the same one the for 35 years. Orion logo. I missed yeah. Gretel and Hansel in theaters. 
didn't catch up with it until I blind bought it on Black Friday for $5. And I do not nice. regret the purchase because, yeah, it is such a singular vision uh, and such a an unusual um, but really, like, it, it just uh, Oz Perkins is just such an interesting filmmaker because he just really knows. And I haven't seen, which I'm the pretty thing that lives in the house. Is that what it's called? That one's my least favorite. Yeah. I like it, but I don't really love it. Um, I think for me, Black Hood's Daughter was like the movie where I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I knew, like, when I saw The Pretty Thing that Lives in the House, I was like, okay, all right. There's something to him. Um, and it's sort of, it's interesting to me that some of the most thought provoking stories about female characters of the last 10 years have kind of come out of his realm. Um, but I think that's also because he's very much a big collaborator with, uh, female performers and he really works closely, uh, with his cast, which I know specifically from Black Coat's Daughter that he did, um, and really worked on a lot of like sort of those character beats with the actresses in that movie. Um, and from what I know from talking to Alice Creek, that was something he very much did on this as well. Um, I didn't get to talk to Sophia, but I would have loved to sort of talk about sort of the, the, their collaborative experience. Cause I'm guessing it was probably pretty similar. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's just a director who again is out there sort of making movies that he clearly loves. Like he's telling the stories he wants to tell. Right. And I really admire that. Yeah. Uh, great pick that if I had extended my list to like 11 or 12, that probably would have been on there. Um, nice. My number four is another movie that I think you had on your list last year for one to watch out for. And that is, I think my favorite love story of the year. And it is after, after midnight, uh, with Jeremy Gardner and Bria Grant directed by Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella. And written by Jeremy Gardner, um, it's, I think I described it as like before sunset with a monster, maybe, because um, I don't want to give too much away in terms of how much horror is in the movie. But it's not a ton for those of you looking for a full-blooded horror movie. This is not it. It's much more of a relationship drama, but it's a really beautiful relationship drama. Gorgeously photographed, really well acted. Bria Grant gives the monologue of the year in this one take scene. Um, yeah, and uh, it's just really special. Uh, there's a great scene where Jeremy Gardner sings a Lisa Loeb song that has the best punchline of a movie I saw last year. Um, I, I don't want to say too much about it, but I really loved it. Yeah, I I don't I don't mean to like this sounds weird because um, I very much very much love Brian. But I kind of developed like a huge crush on Jeremy Gardner after this movie. It's hard not to, yeah. <laughs> like I don't even. I like, but it was just like when you talk about sort of that that moment um, where he sings "Stay," yeah. Which I mean, like if you're somebody who was a teenager in the '90s, like when you hear Lisa Loeb sing "Stay," like there's just like you're suddenly a teenager again. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. Um, and you get all these emotions. Um, but I do think I actually think it's my favorite Bria Grant performance we've seen from her, which is saying a lot. Because she's done some really fantastic stuff uh, throughout her career. Um, but I do absolutely love her in this movie. Um, and I, I I love the fact, you know, I'm, I'm all for using the monster as a metaphor. Which I think this movie does extremely well. Yeah. Um, again, I, I get it if somebody watches this movie and they're thinking it's a little more monstery than it is. 
Um, but you're sort of missing the point of it. I think if, if, if that's all you're coming to, to see, like there's, there's so much more to this movie. Um, and it's really, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful, lovely experience, um, that I'm really glad you mentioned. Um, it made my honorable mentions for this year. I just, honestly, most of the movies that I mentioned on my honorable mentions on daily dead, I could have written about, but I just ran out of time because yeah, I'd right. already written about like 18 things. <laughs> right. so, it, gets, it gets hard to write about all of them. Yes. Um, but I'm really glad you mentioned it because I, I do enjoy, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Gardner as a director. I mean, as an actor as well. Um, and I don't know, I want, I want more. I want, you know, after this and the battery, um, I never saw Tex Montana, but no, I haven't uh, either. But I, I love the battery. I love After Midnight, and let's just let's get him some more money. Let's yes. let's do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, top three. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We're building um, towards possibly the same number one, and I I will be amazed if that happens because I don't think it ever has, and I don't want to jinx it. Ooh, is this the year? I don't know. Yeah. All right. So my number three um, comes from one of my very favorite directors working today, uh, Christopher Landon. And my number uh, three is yes. Freaky. Okay. Yes. So I I mean, seriously, the, Christopher Landon doing a comedy slasher, like, of course I'm going to love it. Like, immediately. And then the movie comes out, and it's sort of – something beyond that um it feels like a really important movie in a lot of ways um there's there's one scene in particular that when i saw it um i just i knew i was absolutely in love with this movie um and i don't want to give too much away but there's obviously there's body swapping so throughout most of the movie vince vaughn is playing a teenage girl and again we're talking problematic people whatever (laughs) um i get it I'm, i'm not excusing anything about who vince vaughn is outside of the realm of being an actor um, but there's a scene where he's playing, you know, he's playing the scene as the character of Millie, who is Catherine Newton. Um, and he's sitting in a car with her crush and it's this really heartfelt emotional moment. And I think what I really loved about it is that if this was an eighties movie hmm. or even a nineties yeah. movie yeah, yeah, to yeah. a degree, this scene would be played for laughs right? Exactly. and it would have been handled a completely different way. And I think the benefit of having a gay director and a gay writer as well, a co-writer, because uh, Christopher worked on this with Michael Kennedy, I think really benefits the movie in a lot of ways and brings a really uh, a great deal of insight, sensitivity and thoughtfulness to the, to the table um, and really does something that I just I've never really seen done in a mainstream horror movie before. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, again, I don't want to throw out the word progressive because again, it feels like sort of like this weird catchphrase for the times. Um, but there's just beyond the fact that it's a really fantastic movie. There's just, it feels like an important movie in a lot of ways too. Um, and I don't see a lot of people really sort of talking about that as much. Um, but I just, I, again, it's one of those movies where like, you got me to like Vince Vaughn, <laughs> which is, which is no easy feat. Uh, I think Catherine Newton is fantastic and is an incredible villain in this movie. I actually liked her better, I think, as the evil version of herself versus the regular version of herself. Although the regular version of her is just as adorable. Um, and again, there's also another really lovely scene, um, where Vince Vaughn as Millie is talking to Millie's mom through a door yeah. um, 
and it just I, I think it I think it talks about generational grief in a very interesting way uh, as well. Although I'm kind of over. I'm kind of over parental grief, I think, at this point. And I think I've said this in previous years. Like, I would really love to see a movie where a character's main crux is doesn't have to do with the fact that, like, their parent is dead, I guess. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I'm done. Like, we, we, you know, we had a happy death day. We've had it here. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need it anymore. Um but beyond that, I just there's there's like the fact that they were able to sort of take a lot of kills that we're us horror fans would like recognize from other horror movies, but sort of amp them up in very unexpected ways. Like the fact that they paid homage to the Sorority Row uh, remake, like in the first like five minutes of the movie. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Immediate four stars for me right there. Um, but it's just it's super super duper fun. Uh, really great performances. And I honestly think Vince, Vince Vaughn probably does one of the best genre performances of the year here, which again, I can't even believe I'm saying, but here we are. He does. No, he, he's, he really commits and doesn't just play it for like goofy laughs, as you said, you know, the way that he would have, if this were an eighties or nineties movie where it's like, can you believe I'm a teenage girl? Right. Um, He just commits to playing it as realistically as possible. And the movie sneaks in all this interesting messaging about gender and gender identity under the guise of just this very fun and entertaining slasher movie, you know, with some great, the Alan Ruck kill is an all timer. Oh my God. Spoilers. I I've guess that seen, Alan Ruck dies I've, in the movie. I Sorry, know. everybody. Well, I mean, it's kind of in the trailer. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. I, mean, I didn't see yeah, the trailer. Yeah. He gets slammed onto like the, the wood cutting thing. And I mean, you know, he's, I think if you see the trailer, you know what's going to happen from right, there. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I've already seen the airport. This is his character. <laughs> very nice. Very, very nice little callback to speed there. <laughs> um, all right, my number three is The Return of Richard Stanley, and that is Color Out of Space, starring my boy Nicolas Cage as the patriarch of a family that moves out to this kind of country house and then some meteor shit uh, begins affecting them. And it has one of the most horrifying images of the year uh, that I don't want to spoil. I keep referring to it as the family bonding moment, but I don't want to say much more. Um, Again, it's a very like sort of neon pink movie, but it shows that Richard Stanley hasn't lost a step in the years that he's been out of the director's chair. Uh, it's exciting that maybe this means he's going to get to direct more movies. Nicolas Cage, as always, just fully commits to this part and makes it special because he allows himself to be funny. And by being funny, he ingratiates the audience to him so much more quickly. He's kind of playing a dork, but we love him. He's a lovable dork. And so what happens to this family becomes much more heartbreaking because we like them so much in the early going when they're just like this traditional nuclear family. Uh, And then as they begin to experience the effects of this meteor shit, um, it's a lot more tragic because we're so invested in them as a family. Um, I saw it back in like February when it, or possibly January when it first came out, I have not revisited it. I've been meaning to, so I can't speak to it with as fresh a a recollection as I would like. Um, But 
I saw it very early in 2020 and very early it became one of my favorite movies of the year. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I saw this. Uh, oh, yeah. Fantastic Fest 2019. Yeah, that's another one where you see all these movies way before me. So, yeah, um, I wish I loved it more. Sure. I, I feel like a jerk. No, um, that's all right. I, I really do want to revisit it because I, I think maybe at that point I was just sort of feeling festival fatigue, uh, which is a very real thing. Like, I think sometimes when you're in the thick of these things, like you're really excited those first few days. And by like day six, you're like, OK, here's some more movies. <laughs> um, but I, I, anything that brings Richard Stanley back into the fold, I'm on board with. And I do agree that there are some things in this movie that are super duper messed up. Um, and I do think Nicolas Cage is fantastic in it. Um, yeah. And I think visually it's, it's a really strong movie, but yeah, I wish I loved it more. I knew, I do need to revisit it though. I'm, I'm a jerk. No, not at all. It is, no, no, uh, okay. it is streaming on shutter it. for those of you who want to check it out. Yeah. I actually think the first run of like the Blu-rays might've sold out too. Really? So I think it's a, it, I think it did pretty well. Oh wow! Okay. Amongst people, so I mean, everybody's got the you know they got the 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 Nicolas Cage rage these days. They're all about it. <laughs> so have you watched the swear words show yet? Yeah, Erica okay, and I, I watched. watched we didn't watch all of it. We watched oh, like the first. Oh, episodes. you had time to watch Nicolas Cage's swear words show that just came out. <laughs> okay. It's right. Nicolas Cage. I, I had to watch it. Okay. If he was okay, on Cobra great. Kai, I would have watched Cobra Kai already. I don't. You don't know that he isn't though. You would have told me. Uh, would I have? <laughs> I hope so. Mm, somebody, I don't know. somebody would have told me. Somebody would have mm. alerted me to this fact. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's uh, again, it's one of those. I'm really glad it exists. Um, I do think it's one of the best like Lovecraft movies we've seen. Yeah. Pretty much, I think since Reanimator, Reanimator maybe. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, as somebody who used to love Nip Tuck, uh, I was also excited to kind of see Jolie Richardson kind of come back into the fold here as well. It kind of felt like a nice return for her and for Richard Stanley. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think there's certain parts of it that just didn't quite click. But again, it's hard for me to be mad at a movie that has Tommy Chong. <laughs> I forgot that he was so, in it. Yep. Um, all right. You're number two. All right. Well, my number two is a movie that I think that everybody sort of talked about ad nauseum these days. So I don't even think we have to really go into this one too much. Um, but it would be uh, The Invisible Man from Lee Winnell. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think it's happening. This is exciting. Oh, my God. Is it happening for real? I think so. Oh, my God. This is so <laughs> exciting. Uh, wow. We've never been so in sync before. Yeah, this I know. is great. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I love Lee. I love Lee's movies. I love Lamp. Um, <laughs> uh, I love Elizabeth Moss. Um, she gave two fantastic performances last year uh, between Invisible Man and Shirley. Um, this is one of those rare movies that I, I think works on every level, whether you're sort of a quote unquote elitist about genre movies, or if you're just somebody who doesn't even really care about horror movies and you just want to go see a good movie. I think the Invisible Man sort of nails it in that respect. Um, you know, it's it's very hard to sort of find that perfect balance. I think he does it well. Obviously, I think it's the best movie we've gotten from Lee as a director. Yeah. Um, 
it's you know it's incredible it's this the score is fantastic the cinematography is absolutely on another level um i don't even know what to say about it anymore except that it rules um so yeah i invisible man was my number two all right my number two has already been discussed because it's underwater oh look at that yeah placed very high for me because again it was one of only two horror movies that appeared on my other list so i felt like it needed to place very high on this list. It wouldn't make sense to put it at number 10 or something uh, if it managed to cross over. But I love Underwater, which brings us to number one. And if I'm doing the math correctly, I think I know what it is, but I could be wrong. You might throw me a total curveball here. But what is your uh, your favorite horror movie of 2020? I, we're both going Corona Zombies, right? <laughs> I mean, the way they use that footage. I know. I mean, I know you're full moon for life. So I figured <laughs> when you said we were going to match up, I was like, well, obviously it's both Corona zombies. Um, no, uh, my number one is, again, Broken Record, Sundance, blah, 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 uh, is Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. We did it. We did it. <gasps> woo, woo. We, <laughs> balloons are Yay! dropping. Confetti is falling. Yay! No oh one. Sorry that no one. Sorry you don't get to see it outside, people. I know. I don't even get to see it because I'm over here. Yeah. Um, Wow, that's really great that you rigged balloons at your house. I've been waiting for this moment for years. <laughs> for years, and it's here. It's Every year here. I, I think I'm going to drop the balloons, and then I don't because I pick some shitty movie as number one. It's a Cronenberg miracle. Um, <laughs> Cronenbergian Stomach miracle. Stomach vaginas for everyone. Yay! Yay! Um, yeah, I I freaking love Possessor. Um, I even loved it more so the second time. Me too. Um I even loved it more the third time. Um, it's there is just so much to dissect in this movie, and I know we're like we're we're on this tight crunch because uh, Charlie's got to do some drumming. <laughs> um, is he gonna be like a little Garth? Is that what he's doing? I'm is hoping he's gonna be like little Garth. Yeah, oh, I'm hoping that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this movie is just an incredible feat. I it, it's interesting because when we were talking about it on the Corpse Club episode, we like Brian Christopher sort of mentioned how to him it felt very David Cronenbergian, which I get, I get it, you know, body horror and stuff like that. But I had the um, sort of the good, the good fate of sort of like, I'd just previously to going to Sundance last year, I watched antiviral because I never seen it. I hadn't seen it before. Um, so I wanted to sort of get into the space of Brandon Cronenberg going into this. So for me, it very much feels like an extension of that, just in a completely different way. Um, but it does sort of, I do this sort of concept of identity. And I think I, you know, and this is something I've said, I think time and time again, as I've talked about this, I would really, I, I think it has something to, to say a lot about sort of gender identity specifically. And I'd really love to have somebody who's way more qualified go into this movie and talk about sort of some of these concepts. Um, because I think visually there's, there's some really interesting ways um, that Cronenberg plays with gender identity in this movie um, that I just, again, I hadn't really seen done before. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's just a fantastic freaking movie that's brutal. It's just, but it, it's brutal, but it made me sad at the end. Um, and it really messed me up. And I do think it's probably one of my very, very favorite things I've seen Andrea Riseborough do. Yes, I mean, she's always good, and her screen time is kind of limited, so it's a testament to the performance, because yeah. she spends so much of the movie inside Chris Abbott that, like... You don't... Who I think is actually the the movie's secret weapon. And this is something I've talked about, I think, in my review and other... You know, I think even when I interviewed them at Sundance last year, 
like when you look at Christopher Abbott's performance, when uh, Tazia is inside of him, um, it's it, there's something to be said. Like Freaky is like you know is Vince Vaughn playing the character like Catherine Newton is inside of him, right? Whereas this, it's like it's Chris Abbott's having to play Tazia's interpretation of who his character is. So it's almost like this extended level of of, of sort of like body, like sort of this body performance in a way, again, I don't really know the last time I've seen something like this. And I think he, he really is sort of the secret weapon, I think in this movie. What is he like in real life? Because I've seen him really play nice. a, a see, I've seen him play a sociopath a couple of times now. Yeah. And, um, Oh, oh, the John Bernthal movie. I can't remember the name of it. Sweet Virginia. Oh, yes. Um, Which is actually a pretty good movie. It is a good movie, movie. yeah. But so I'm just wondering if he is an actual sociopath. He's very, very lovely. If I remember correctly, he might have actually smelled pretty good, too. Well, sure. So, but it was at the beginning of the day. So it was like 930 (laughs) in the morning. So, you know, Um, it was interesting. I actually had a chance to interview both of them and uh, Brandon last year at Sundance. And one of my very favorite things is I got to talk to Andrea about Mandy, speaking of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, and she said how she knew people liked the movie from the festival circuit. She knew that it had done pretty well, like in terms of its release on Shutter and things like that. Um, but she said it hadn't really hit her until that year. She went to a Halloween party and there was like four different people dressed up as Mandy at this Halloween party. Oh, wow. And she was like, she was completely taken aback by that, um, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So, you know, so that was kind of cool. Um, but I also think, you know, I really like Jennifer Jason Lee in this movie as well. well she's always um, good. Oh, my goodness gracious. Like, she's so good. Yeah. Um, it's just like I this is a movie I really feel like I'm going to revisit a lot in the future. Yeah. Um, like there's certain movies I watch. I'm like, OK. I've seen it. I'm good. Right. Or maybe I'll watch it one more time. Even movies like, on this list, I feel like I don't know how often. Like I don't know how o- I thought his house was really good. I don't know how often I'm going to watch his house, but Possessor, I'm going to watch the shit out of. Yeah, um, and I think it's just a movie that's going to keep rewarding people. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those like we're still trying to figure out the difference between Possessor and Possessor Uncut. Um, but I will say I rem- I feel like the version that I watched at Sundance versus the version I saw with the Blu-ray is the Blu-ray was a lot more violent. Um, yeah. And I think there's one key shot that's missing from the edited version as well. It involves an erect penis. No, that was there. Was that there? Okay. I thought I had read that that was was not there in the, in the edited version. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe they kind of scaled up or something. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, Maybe I just imagined the penis there. Who knows? We always do. Who knows? We always do. I'm always imagining penises. That's why <laughs> That's why my my band name, instead of Imagine Dragons, it's Imagine Penis. You guys are pretty um, good, though. Yeah, we are. You know, we're gonna, we were going to play Coachella last year, but then everything <laughs> happened. Um, but yeah, it's... I, it's it's one of those movies like I know this is going to be something like I want to watch with other I want to watch other people watch it right <laughs> and I got right. to do that with Brian and it also became one of his favorite movies of last year so yeah. it's just like yes um, it's again when you talk about movies that are quote unquote purely my shit this is it it's just a movie that fucking goes for it in a way that yes. no other movie I think in 2020 does you know 
even movies that commit and like really are pure visions and distillations of their filmmakers ideas and stuff like possessor just goes for it and as of this recording if you're listening and you haven't seen possessor yet it is currently available to rent on apple tv or itunes for 99 cents so for a dollar you can rent possessor uncut it's also a dollar on prime as well okay perfect so nobody has an excuse to watch this movie it's literally a dollar prime did not have the uncut version before do they now uh that i don't know um but look, I'm putting it out there. I'm broke as a joke, but if you're somebody who's like who's like I can't spend a dollar to rent this movie, come to me. I will PayPal <laughs> you a dollar. I'm going to get like 500 tweets. Yeah, I'm don't, be really don't do screwed. it. Don't put it out. There. But seriously, it's a dollar. Yeah. I promise you if you don't if you can't see any sort of value in this movie, I will find a way to give you your dollar back. <laughs> um that's it. That's our top ten. And we had, I know. I can't believe we matched up at the end. I know. It's we had, so amazing. We had four crossovers and six that were unique to each of our lists. So that's a lot of horror movies for you guys to go watch. And the good news is almost all of them are available for streaming on like Shudder or Netflix or somewhere. And then there's a few that you might have to rent if you haven't seen them. But um, this is always one of my favorite shows to do, Heather. And I really appreciate you coming on and doing this with me. Oh, I don't know why you say that. I'm so, like, blah. No, you're not. <laughs> this was fun. But thank you. Yes. No, I always look forward to our our, our, our horror wrap-ups. So, yeah. is this our sixth one? Uh, that sounds right. Oh, my goodness gracious. Where yeah. does the time go? I don't know. Oh, goodness. Anyway, right. um, that's going to do it for us, everybody. Uh, remember to uh, follow us on Twitter at FThisMovie. You can email us at FThisMoviePodcast at gmail.com. And go to FThisMovie.com every day for new podcasts and articles. Heather, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, in a dumpster? Oh, I don't all know. right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter over at the Horror Check. At um, DailyDead.com. Yes, and uh, you can find all my stuff whatever that is uh, over at dailydead.com as well. Yes. All right. Well, thank you again, Heather. This was super fun and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.